critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon, for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are Hello, people of the world. Welcome to the Metaphysical Podcast. Hello. That is Alexander. I am Brian. We're here to talk about stuff. So, what we're going to talk about today is the importance of stories. Big stuff. Word. Alexander, first remind me what your major is. Um, my major is English language. language. And mine is English creative writing. So they're similar but different. They both have to do with words. And words... Words tend to correlate pretty closely with stories, I'd say. I think most of the stories I've heard have, have come from words. Or words have been the way in which they've been relayed to me. I think that's a... I could, I could maybe say all of them. Words words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation mm. of truth. Who's that? V. <laughs> v for Vendetta. Awesome. I like that. Yeah. I'd say there's a lot of truth in there. Well, yeah. So this topic came from listening to actually a couple intellectual speakers discussing it or kind of mentioning it um jordan peterson and sam harris discuss it in a debate they have they talk about the role that stories play in in the lives of people and when i heard them talking about it it made me start thinking about it and started to realize that it's almost a flippant comment to say, oh yeah, stories are very important. But there's there's an absurd amount of importance in that statement, I think. And I think the reason for that, or the, the most clear reason that, that I think that's true, is you think about how people conceptualize you know, life itself, their own lives, as they navigate through the world. And the way that they do that is largely through a narrative that they hold within their mind of experiences that they've had, the way that they're living currently, and the way that they understand the world in order to move forward in it. And I think the reason that that, because you have to qualify it as a story, I would say, it's not, it might not be apparent or obvious to everyone that the way that they conceptualize the world is a story. But I think for for everyone that I have ever met, that's probably true because I don't think I've met anyone who has a perfect understanding of objective truth. And I think <laughs> if you don't have an, a, a perfect understanding of objective truth, what you have to do is you have to take on a different kind of truth in order to be able to still navigate the world or else you adopt the postmodern belief that there are endless interpretations and therefore nothing actually has meaning it's all based on the way that you understand it 
which is an interesting idea and there's a there's the initial concept i think is true there are an endless amount of ways to interpret any given thing i think the error that comes in the postmodern thought process is immediately after that when they talk about okay well because that is true like given that that is true that there are endless interpretations of any given thing nothing has any truth and I think that's where the error is and I think it's the way that you can kind of determine that is by taking something taking something that well actually anything you could take anything in the world so I have next to me a bottle filled with water now I can interpret that the bottle is not actually holding the water I can interpret it as the water being the force that is causing this bottle to exist as something that is holding it. And that's somewhat viable, like it's not a, a completely ridiculous thing, but it would be completely ridiculous for me to say that the water bottle is actually an apple. And it's pretty apparent that that's <laughs> a, a blatantly incorrect assumption of what is true and what that shows is that while there are endless interpretations of things there aren't an endless amount of accurate interpretations of things there are things that are obviously not true and what that seems to indicate is that there's there's kind of a I hesitate to say hierarchy, but yeah, I suppose there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy of things that are viable interpretations. And so at the bottom you have things like my water bottle is an apple. And then as you get higher up on the hierarchy of potential interpretations, you get to things that are more and more true. Mm-hmm. And I think that because that, like those things are stratified and they narrow down until you get to only a couple things that are reasonable interpretations of what is actually existing or what's actually happening that seems to point to the fact that well it obviously points to the fact that you can't interpret anything in any way like that and that that's an important distinction because it means that there actually is something that is occurring whether or not we can actually find out exactly what it is is another thing entirely but we can I think we can at least get close we can probably get very close we can at least get close enough to continue to exist and interact in the world or with the world in a way that allows us to to live meaningful lives I think that's been evidenced by all the people who have ever existed <laughs> maybe except for the postmodern nihilists <laughs> <laughs> But even then, it's a even if you take on that that idea that life has no inherent meaning and you decide what actually has meaning. Even if you take that on, I don't I don't personally know anyone who has actually lived as if that were true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was a little a little sidetrack, but but it, getting back to the, <laughs> how that relates to stories. So we're going to operate on the basis of 
understanding that there is an objective truth and we can't fully understand it. We can get close, perhaps, but we can't be certain about about everything or about most things or maybe about anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple things we can be certain about, but mm-hmm. it's beside the point. There is an objective truth. We can't fully understand it. So what we have to operate on are these things that we somewhat understand and that we make connections to but which are not entirely true and that seems to me like the definition of a story okay interesting the thing that say that again okay so let me phrase it this way the understanding that we have of everything that we have done up through everything that we are doing and plan to do in the future are based on things that are perhaps close to the truth but are not certain to be the truth Mm -hmm. and we take those things we compile all of those almost truths together and we use it to formulate a narrative that we use to either tell the story of things that we have done in the past to understand what we are doing right now and to tell a potential a story of what we potentially might do in the future based on those other two things and to me that sounds a lot like a story especially when you look at the things that have happened in the past i mean you look at you look at history itself of all mankind not just of individual people and it's impossible to know exactly what happened or to understand it in a full way. All there are are snippets and pieces of it and a combination of different interpretations that we can use to try to get as close to the truth as possible. But there are certain things, and I, w- I would argue that it's most things, if not everything, that we cannot be certain happened. But we can get close enough to the truth that we can formulate a narrative that we take on its own merit, sort of, knowing that it's not fully true, but taking it to be as true as we can get it to be. And we operate in the world based on that narrative that we tell ourselves and that we tell to other people. And it's that part. It's the narrative of things that have happened or of things that are happening that constitutes the story aspect of the way that we live our lives. It's like a realistic fiction. A realistic <laughs> fiction that that we're we're constantly operating in. Um, that's interesting. I so so in your interpretation, um, stories are kind of like a backup plan to objective truth. Like, at least the way you phrased it, sounded like since we can't understand everything we have like this fallback plan of stories where it's like yeah we can't we can't do this right so we're going to do it in this slightly incorrect way and it's stories and it kind of works <laughs> uh, i suppose it could be phrased that way yeah i i think of it a little bit differently cuz i don't think of it as a backup plan i think that it just is the plan because I, it, it at least seems to me that there are a large amount of objective truths that you cannot know with certainty. You can know in other ways, but 
I mean, it's hard to be, it's hard to even define what certainty would be. There's always a, a potential hiccup that you could conceptualize, which I would argue is another story. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a battle of two stories. No, that's 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 perhaps another topic. But yeah. Well, there's... all I mean is that is that if we could say we could know things with certainty and know and understand comprehensively the universe and our role in it, then we wouldn't need story. Is that what you're saying? Ooh, that isn't what I have said, but that's. I think it would, that would eliminate the necessity for stories, at least in that aspect, you know, stories in order to operate in the world. If we had objective truth, we wouldn't necessarily need stories to operate in the world. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't know that it would, you know, completely eliminate any benefit of stories. There might still be some, but I, I don't know. That's hard to think about. Maybe, maybe it would. Maybe there wouldn't be any, any reason for stories anymore if we had a grasp of objective truth, of all objective truth. Well, I guess the, um, like a possible, what's the word, litmus test of that is like you could see, one way you could see the development of, of human civilization is a you know from primitive times till now is a greater reliance upon what we call objective truth and scientific truth and scientific findings and like you said like those things i mean we still don't have them in any kind of absolute sense things still aren't for sure but but in a way that approximates certainty right like laws of gravity and things that i don't know science gets more and more robust right and so right. what you'd what you'd expect to see if it were true that as you approach objective truth you need less story is that we would be less reliant on stories now than we were 5000 years ago which might be true but i don't know yeah that's really interesting i i would say that <clears throat> i you know, based on my, my flawed understanding of the world, I would say that that is something that has started to happen, at least in people's minds. Not, I don't, yeah, I don't think actually, I don't think actually the need for stories has lessened by any noticeable degree, but people are, they do as a whole seem to be, or at least I've heard the story, <laughs> that they're much more reliant on science and, um, you know, philosophy intellectual thinking to try to get to truths than they are on stories like people people believe that to be true people want to take science as you know a more serious form of knowledge and kind of throw out the rest of it and by doing that in their minds i think they remove they remove the desire to hear stories because of that but i don't I don't think that I would say that it's necess necessarily warranted. I don't think that science has gotten to a place where it's anywhere even remotely close to removing the importance of stories. But I, I mean, I think about <laughs> modern literature now, or I guess it's 
postmodern, depending on how you want to talk about it, but contemporary literature is, in my opinion, and disclaimer, I haven't read a lot of it, but of the, the modern literature that I have read, it's mostly nonsense. It's greatly inferior to a lot of other things that have come before it in literature. And I think it's because it strays from a lot of, like, it strays from a few different things. One of them would be the archetypal stories on which a lot of the, a lot of the world was based. Right, there are traditional stories that are told over and over and over again. First one that comes to mind is mm-hmm. is like Beowulf, the story of Beowulf, the hero story is told. I mean, throughout different cultures and for many many generations and there are still iterations of it today that pop up because it's just a story that doesn't get old and that seems to that that seems to me to express some kind of it it holds something within it that is very true that i mean it gets into people and it affects them in a very real way and so it persists because people are always interested in it and that actually real quick brings me back to what we were talking about before when you asked if if um are you what did you say you asked if i was saying that stories were sort of a a backup to objective truth since we don't have it like stories are the next best thing that we try to use to right to live with it i think that stories are actually a mechanism by which we can come closer to objective truth i think there's real utility in stories and I don't know precisely how to define it, but it's it's with things like that in particular. Stories that exist throughout generations and repeat themselves in various forms but are more or less the same. There's something in that. And I it could be an it might not be an objective truth. It might just be something that's I mean, it has to be something important. It has to be something really, really impactful to people as a whole. for it to be like there are as if there are objectively true stories themselves Um, everything more that they they reflect an objective the stories reflect an objective truth or some aspect of the stories illustrate an objective truth gotcha yeah interesting yeah and it's it's hard to to piece together because they are stories there are definitely fictional aspects to it so you have to like how do you how do you attain the objective truth from a fictional story that's a difficult thing to to suss out but i think that it can be done i'm not sure how it would Um, be done but well the reason i had that question about like how stories are supposed to stand in relation to objective truth you know if it's like a hierarchy and stories are below or something that leads to objective truth mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it because I think they're completely different realms of of something <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say of experience I was going to say of experience but 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 that's just the thing, is that objective truth has nothing to do with experience, I don't think. It's like, we can think about things, but like, I don't, you know, if I'm walking and I, 
if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I'm walking under some trees and it's like a little bit windy and I step over to the other sidewalk where there's no trees so that a pine cone doesn't fall on my head, it's not because I know that it's not because I know Newton's laws of gravity and I know that the wind is blowing at this objective amount of whatever and that the pine cones in this season are especially loose because of the science of how trees work, yada yada yada. No, it's because I just saw a pine cone fall, you know, three feet away. And so by means of that analogy, I say, well, one might fall on my head, so I go to the other side. Like that's, that's, that's a story. That's not, an obje- that's not, I don't act in relation or because of objective truth. I act because of stories. Right. And so they're like, it's completely different realms. I feel like I don't think that, I don't think that objective truth ever replaces stories or that, or even that story, the point of stories is to lead us to objective truth. I mean, that's something that can happen certainly, but but I don't know if that's, I don't know if I think about it like that, that, that stories are like what we have because we can't understand comprehensively the objective nature of the universe or something. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I think I, think I, I see what you're getting at, and I can maybe elaborate on it, because I think... So I I tend to at least somewhat agree with you I think because I think that there's there is I I do believe that there is overlap between stories and objective truth. I think it's possible for stories to illuminate objective truth perhaps merely because they contain objective truth. But I think it's yeah, well, let's get into this. This is more this is probably more accurate and will clarify some things and I think it agrees with what you're saying. So it's almost as if my thinking is that it's almost as if there are two different kinds of knowledge that you can have. I would put it that way. So you could Well, there's intuition and revelation too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Maybe we should have for <laughs> if anyone is actually listening. <laughs> the whole <laughs> That whole, we had a conversation about that a while ago. We might have to do do an episode about that. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah, that might be a good idea. Oh, goodness, I'd forgotten about that. Golly. Yeah, intuition versus inspiration. What a topic. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, not, not, not exactly what I was talking about. sorry so there's two types of knowledge right two types of knowledge so yeah and they would you could you could call them i don't think it's entirely entirely accurate but in order for the segue into what we're talking about you could call them the objective (laughs) knowledge and the story knowledge and i think it's illustrated really well by what by what you just said like there's an objective knowledge that you can have like oh okay pine cones will cause gravity to fall but like you said you don't <laughs> gravity will cause pine cones to fall did i say pine cones cause gravity to fall <laughs> yeah well, that's that's just my my subjective interpretation of it <laughs> right uh, yeah right there's no reason to believe that pine cones haven't caused gravity to happen <laughs> except for it's except for it's ridiculous and postmodernism is stupid <laughs> right 
gravity will cause pine cones to fall. You could say that that's uh, that's at least as close to an objective truth as we can get because we can recognize this gets into another conversation that I want to have. You can recognize patterns that may not be entirely understood or calculable, but that will always occur. And that would be one of the, like, gravity would be one of those patterns. It's always happening. It's always occurring. It's not fully understood, but it's understood well enough that we can utilize its force to exist in the world and interpret things like a pine cone falling. But you're right. Knowing that gravity can cause a gravity and wind can cause a pine cone to fall isn't the thing that makes you isn't necessarily the thing that makes you walk to the other side of the sidewalk to avoid it it's the story okay i saw a pine cone fall now i'm aware that there are pine cones in the tree it could happen to me it could fall right on top of my head that's the story that i'm telling myself i'm telling you're telling yourself a story about a potential future that could happen and because of that you decide to remove that future from being a possibility by going to the other side of the street and changing the story. You change the narrative of what's going to happen in your life. Okay. And <clears throat> you can apply that to a lot of different things. It can be applied really broadly, I think, because, well, it, it ties in with what I was saying before. You can't, no one has a perfect understanding of objective truth. So you have to have something else in order to operate in the world. You can't flail around blindly, not understanding anything, and exist in any any kind of actual way. You would just die, because the world is constantly, like the, the structure of existence is constantly an opposing force. If you exist without, like if you are born, and then you stop doing anything, you starve to death and you die, or you die from dehydration. The world is constantly a negative right. force against you, and you have to take positive action in order to survive in it, you know, as a baseline. And then much further beyond that, you have to take much more positive action in order to, you know, exist in a meaningful way or have any <laughs> any good experiences while you're while you're living. And in order to right. do that, you have to have that other knowledge, and that's where stories come in. You have stories that help you navigate the world that may not be entirely objectively true, but definitely hold enough truth that you can operate in a very, very meaningful way. So yeah, maybe, maybe, I think yeah, I think you were right to make that that clarification. They're not like one thing stacked on top of each other. They are separate things, and I do think that they overlap a little bit. I think that. Oh, I wonder if they can run... Well, yeah, I think they can run both ways. I think objective truths help to formulate stories. As you gather more objective truths, you can make stories that are more accurate, but that still have a fictional aspect to it that could potentially help you find more objective truths. So it's kind of a circular relationship that they have in that little overlap. They can both support each other in different... Like, it's a reciprocal relationship where one benefits the other, benefits the other, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, but see, I feel like I still disagree somewhat with the way you framed that, like, saying, because you said again something like, because we can't understand object all obje objective truth, we need to have something else that helps us navigate existence. And so that's stories. And see, saying it like that says to me, 
well, if we could understand all objective truth, we wouldn't need stories. Because you're saying, because we can't, we need stories to navigate existence. And I feel like, so that, that's making the claim that if we could understand objective truth in an absolute way, then we wouldn't need this other form of navigation. We wouldn't need stories, which might be true, but I think it'd be an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, is there, because the problem is that does, does objective truth really have anything to do with how you act in the world? Even if you could understand it completely, does, I mean, the whole, it's kind of in the word of objective, right? It's like, the whole point of that is that it doesn't have anything to do with your specific experience or your specific way of life or your specific circumstances. Right. And so, so even if you could understand the, whole, the the entirety of it, does it bring does it bring anything to bear at all on how you live life or how you treat other people? That's a very good point, and something you said made me. I think you're I think you're onto something there. Now I just have to remember what it was. <laughs> you said you're talking about objective truth. Would having objective truth replace stories? Right. Oh, well, that's interesting because that starts to. Sorry, I'm thinking through some things. That starts to get into some really big stuff, I think. Because, first, it's hard to conceptualize everyone having a perfect understanding of objective truth or anyone having a perfect understanding of objective truth but even if you were to think of it as best you can if you had a full understanding of objective truth no I think that is the issue you can't conceptualize it because that would mean that you you know everything you know the meaning of life not just for yourself but for people as a whole you know how everything came into existence you have such a broad understanding that it's hard to it's hard to argue but you wouldn't you know it's hard to argue anything based you wouldn't know the meaning of life because that's a subjective thing oh i disagree <laughs> well, i guess we could get into that <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to now. The meaning of life is subjective. That's I'm I'm actually really surprised. Surprised at that. Well, that's what we've talked about. That like, right? Isn't that the conversation we've had? That that it goes along with the whole interpretation thing. Like, you. There, we've talked about that. There's like, so if there's there's a hierarchy, say of of things that are meaningful to people that are preset they're meaningful in a preset way to people but you can choose among those things and you can also you can choose what's meaningful to you by doing it i mean we've talked about this right a little bit but i don't i don't remember ever reaching that conclusion um well because we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about it in terms of truth like inherent truth but it seems analogical to right. me but maybe it's not. So we were talking about how um, nothing, no thing objectively has any meaning or truth to it. 
inherent in itself. There's there's a necessity of consciousness to apprehend it and to perceive it and to give it some value or truth or meaning or purpose. And so it seems like a logical conclusion to that is that meaning is subjective. It proceeds from consciousness. So every consciousness, every conscious entity can determine its own meaning. That part I disagree with. Because I think that, I, yeah, every everything that you said was, that was stuff that we had talked about last time. Um, and yeah, I think that's all, those are all still valid points. But I'm trying to think now about the relationship between consciousness and truth is what we were talking about last time. We can talk about meaning. Because, um, yeah, that's, I think you're right there analogous. So if we talk about the inherent meaning of a thing, I think that the two things would almost have to occur simultaneously. Because a lot of, a lot of the things that seem to be meaningful in life stem from the existence of consciousness. But I think as soon as consciousness exists, the meaningfulness also exists. I don't think one of them precedes the other. Hmm. Well, like... Which would... Go ahead. I was just going to say that would... Which would seem logically, I think, to indicate that the thing that has meaning will have her meaning... Or, sorry, will have its meaning, regardless of the kind of consciousness that exists. Which would, you know, the variability would be in the individual people. But simply because consciousness exists, those certain things will have meaning. Therefore, it would still be objective. Just contingent upon the existence of... And I'm not actually sure that's true, that it would be contingent upon the existence of, of consciousness. Although it does seem like it's hard to understand that it could exist without consciousness. Um, well... Consciousness can exist without meaning, right? Like, there are people who act as if nothing is meaningful and destroy themselves. And so, if consciousness can choose to not have meaningful things, then it seems like consciousness would be the one who, like, that's the entity that chooses to make things meaningful as well I'm trying to think if it would be possible but it would be definitely be difficult to avoid anything meaningful in, in a person's life because one of those things that I think we both agree on are you know to varying degrees interpersonal relationships are one of those things that are I think we started saying inherently meaningful to people <laughs> I think that was how we were phrasing it before but, but even that like we said <laughs> that is... it's it's not necessarily so. Like it's not necess- It's not something that's. Um, just because it's something that is. How do we say it? Like something that is has an inherent potential for meaningfulness to people. <laughs> I have to add that. <laughs> um, just because it's something that's like preset for people to find meaning in, people still have the ability to right. not find. To not find their relationships meaningful and to not make them meaningful. And that's really what it is. You make your relationships yes. meaningful. 
by acting in a certain way and conceiving of them in a certain way. And so... But I don't... Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, and so, like, there are people who don't find meaning in relationships, and there are people who don't find meaning in most things and just want to destroy themselves, like, um, you know, the Columbine killers or whatever. And I guess you could make the argument that they found meaning in killing people, but I don't think that I don't think that their journals point to that. They they didn't say things like like I don't think. I mean, I haven't studied them in depth, obviously, but I've I've read through them. It doesn't seem to me that they were saying, "Now I have a purposeful existence because I'm going to kill people," or or anything like that. They just were really mad about the fact that they existed in the first place and that people existed, you know? And so right. I feel like there is a real possibility to not find meaning in anything, and that seems to point to the idea that we decide if we're going to find meaning in things, and consciousness proceeds. See, I, I do agree that one has to... Well, actually... Kind of. I think that it is possible to avoid meaningful things. I don't know about entirely, but at least, you know, you can avoid the majority of meaningful things. I think that's possible. But I don't agree that you create, like, a person, an individual, creates the meaning in the thing that is meaningful. So I think interpersonal relationships are meaningful in and of themselves without the person putting any sort of effort to it. I think the effort that the person puts into the relationship serves to magnify that meaning or to to strengthen it in some way I'm not sure exactly how to phrase that but the meaning is in the thing itself the interpersonal relationship even if you have a bad relationship with someone unless it become you know unless it's abusive or severe i would say that having a neutral we could go with that you could have a neutral relationship with someone it doesn't appear to be beneficial in any way but I would argue that it's better to have a neutral relationship than to have no relationship at all. And that seems to point to me, like if you're having something that doesn't outwardly have a positive effect on you, but when it's taken away, your life is worse off than it was before you had the neutral thing, that seems to point to it having some kind of inherent meaning in and of itself, regardless of the person who's interacting with it. Although I do say that they, you know, they do influence it or they have the capacity to magnify that meaning by taking steps to it or to it to supporting that thing well but and that's doesn't the idea that you can just do nothing in a relationship whatever kind of interpersonal relationship it might be but the idea you just stated that that you can do nothing and it remain in a neutral place doesn't that go against what you're saying earlier that the whole nature of existence is negative and that you have to be working positively to keep like you have to be working actively for every for anything to keep it to maintain it at a neutral place at least and then you have to work even harder to make it good and so doesn't that does that not apply to interpersonal relationships as well like is that really a reality that you can do nothing and it will not be bad or get worse yeah, I think it's possible to conceive of the most neutral relationship that you can think of. And the way that I think of it is, <laughs> I can actually relate it 
to, to someone that I know in real life. I won't mention any names, but yeah, I, so I have other obligations that put me in a position where I'm sitting next to this other person. And because of those other, the obligation is class. I, I attend school. I'm in a seat next to a person. I, in that class, have been assigned to associate with this person, so not by my own choice. I don't benefit tremendously from any of the conversations that we've had due to our assigned interaction, but I would argue that that interaction makes my life more meaningful than if I was to not interact with any person at all. And you can feel it, at least I can feel it on a day-to-day basis. If, I'm, if I've been in my, ho- in my house alone and haven't interacted with anyone, and then I go out and I interact with someone, even if it's something which I would argue to be... I mean, we can, we can discuss the definition of neutral. I don't know if that's the best word. But, but yeah, when, when I say neutral, I mean it's not, it's not outwardly or obviously positive. Like no additional benefit comes from it. It's merely an interaction with another person. Mm-hmm. But if I've been throughout the day not interacting with people and I have even a minor interaction with a person, unless it's you know a very negative interaction with a person, and I like a very negative interaction with a person, because usually I think you can get things. And maybe even from, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'll ignore that for now. Yeah, you have an interaction with a person. There's a there's a a feeling that comes from it, and it changes the at least in in me during those days. It changes the way that I've been feeling throughout the day, and it makes me realize that I've been missing something that before I didn't realize I was missing, and it's the interpersonal connection. But wouldn't you say that? I mean, couldn't I make the case that just because you go into the class and and not only sit down and do nothing, I could make the case you're actually doing something by recognizing the person's existence that sits next to you, talking to them, responding to their questions, responding with your own questions. Like, you're actually doing something. You're not just going in and sitting down and doing nothing. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're getting at now. But let's continue one. this conversation because well, I got to go. Is... Let's continue it next week. Oh, Wait, what were you going to say? Did you have something I really revelatory to, to say? I okay, think so. Go, go for it. <laughs> okay, because this is something that I, that, I was, that I was grappling with. Because, yeah, it, it turns into I have a tool and it has purpose, but a tool doesn't have purpose until mm-hmm. you use it. That's something else that we had, we had mentioned. So the way that I've started conceptualizing the story that I've been telling, you know, to tie it back to what we were originally talking about, the story that I've started to tell myself that seems much more accurate and close to objective truth is that it's not it's not just the thing itself it's not the interpersonal relationship that is inherently meaningful it's like the overarching thing that is meaningful is responsibility and it's responsibility to certain mm-hmm. things so in regards to interpersonal relationships it would be the responsibility to maintain or have to instigate an interpersonal relationship okay so it's the actual action that is the meaningful thing. Exactly. That's what, that's, that's what the, I think that's what I'm saying. Right, but I don't think that that means that like, you are causing the thing to be meaningful. The, thing, the potential for the meaningfulness of the thing exists regardless of the person. 
the person has to interact with it in order to gain the most, you know, or I guess you could say in order to gain the meaningfulness from it, because that's inherent in the whole consciousness experience, you know, relationship that we were talking about earlier. So there has to, you're right, there has to be some engagement with it, but there doesn't have to be an awareness of the meaning. You don't have to decide that. I guess that's what, that's more what I'm arguing. You don't actually have to decide this is going to be meaningful. You only have to make the action. Well, but, well, that's what I mean when I say deciding something, making something meaningful. What I mean by that is deciding to do the action, to deciding to do the work to make it meaningful. Well, there you go. All right, I understand you now. We're on but the same now we've page. gone down a rabbit hole, and I don't remember how it relates back to the stories and <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> it was, we were looking at why, or um, <laughs> I think the original thing was, if you had a full understanding of objective truth, would you need stories or would you not need stories? And so I think, just to say real quickly, because we need to wrap up, I would say that I think in the world as we live it today, if we were to, because yeah, I talked about objective truth of everything that exists, but if you want to talk about just objective truth of the things on the earth, if you had a total understanding of objective truth, you would still need stories in order to interact more broadly with things that are meaningful. I would say that. Oh, and that was the connection because I had said... Because you were saying if you if everyone knew everything, then they would know the meaning of life in an objective way. And I said, well, I don't think that meaning is objective, right? And that's how we got down into that rabbit hole, right? Which I don't know if we concluded one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, because yeah, right. if we say that, I guess if we say that there are things that are that are potentially meaningful, but each person has to decide whether or not they're going to partake of them, basically, or not, um, by their actions, right? Everyone has to decide whether or not they're going to do the thing, do the work. Yeah, I, th I think the, the meaningfulness, is an ac meaningfulness is in action. It's not in an object. That's what I would say. So, yes, you would, you would have to act or interact with that thing. So, does that make meaning... Subjective or objective? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it remains objective. The thing itself, that action, that specific action holds objective meaning. Like you're, because <clears throat> when I think, you think of subjective, you think, sub, so subjective would mean that it depends on, you know, the subjective opinion or the decision of the individual person that it should be meaningful, right? It's very specific. You don't have to decide that relationships are meaningful in order to support a relationship or build a relationship and it become meaningful. It'll still have that effect on you, whether or not you decide that that is a meaningful thing that you want so to there's pursue. So there's a set number of actions which, if anybody in any time, in any place, under any circumstances performs they will find meaning in their relationships. Hmm. The The only part with that that I struggle with is the set number. That's a tough one. Although I do think that probably is true. I'm trying to think about it. Because I think it's it's like most other things, maybe all other things. There's a kind of hierarchy with it. <laughs> so there are the, 
the most meaningful things in there. No, I'm yeah, I'm gonna say yes. There are a set number of things that yes. Interesting. Yeah. All right, I have to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everyone who listened. If anyone did listen. If anyone could listen, if this podcast actually happened, because it is the Metaphysical <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> All right. Adios, amigos. Hasta la vista. <laughs>